Hey, Jeff. Hey, Eric. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Doing well, I'm thanks. Really good. I'm doing really good. Yeah. Where, where are we right yeah. now? We are up at the Lox's studio yeah. recording a Two Jews and Two Black Dudes episode. Yeah. Yeah. Tell them what we watched, baby. <laughs> we watched uh, the, last forgot dragon. Right? <laughs> the Last Dragon. He almost forgot. <laughs> Holy shit. How could you forget that? The Last Dragon. The Last Dragon. You're you going to fucking love it to Bruce, right now. Bruce Leroy. Incredible. Yo, Styles, what are you doing on Wednesday, October 3rd? Smoking weed, gonna be in a highline ballroom. Yo, what you doing there? I'm, I'm gonna come join you. Yeah, come join me. It's a show called Two Jews and the um, Two Black Dudes Review the Movies. Oh, that's nice. Live. That's dope. Highline ballroom. You bringing anybody? Yeah. You mind if I tag along? Let's go. <laughs> come on in, brother. No doubt. Don't miss it. I'll be there. So, everybody, it's Two Jews, Two Black Dudes, Highline High Ballroom. Highline Ballroom, October 3rd. <laughs> Special guest. Don't miss it. We're gonna watch a movie live. You'll be there watching it with us. You'll be able to kick it with us, give feedback, watch Crazy Sheet Looch, watch fucking Psychopath, fucking Serial Killer Jeff. <laughs> and Eric and myself, he just, you know what I'm saying? It's going to be fucking lit. Yep, yep, yep. That was really good. That was good. Yeah, Jadakiss, if people want to go get their tickets, where can they go? <laughs> that was good. That was really it's good. It's TheReal.com. <laughs> We're back at the apartment, Jeff, last November... We had the locks come over for a locks specific episode of A Waste of Time with It's The Real. And in the middle of that conversation, Styles and Sheik started talking about movies and were very animated in their conversation about films. And we said, you know what? You guys should have your own podcast where you guys review movies. And Styles said, no, 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 no. We should have a podcast called. Two Jews and two black dudes review the movies, and we did it. And we said yes. I mean, that's one of the greatest things that you can do, guys. If an opportunity comes your way, take it. We didn't know what was going to happen with this idea. And I don't think they knew what was going to happen either. <laughs> I mean, you know, Styles was on an edible. So maybe he did know. Maybe yeah. he just saw the future and said it out loud. But regardless, here we are all these months later. We've watched movies with them, including Black Panther. Number 171. Coco, number 192. Trading Places, number 195. We did a whole thing about Netflix recommendations, number 156. We also saw You've Got Mail, the 1998 seminal romantic comedy with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, number 201. And most recently, a movie that Jeff and I had never seen, much to the surprise of many of you apparently, The Last Dragon, number 208. So here's the thing, guys. This has grown into this beast that we never even considered before Styles brought it up. And here we are in 2018, a week and a half away from doing our first live event as two Jews and, well, three black dudes review the movies. Yeah, Jadakiss will be in the building. That's right. So Styles P, Sheik Luch, Jeff, myself, Jadakiss, and special guests will all be on stage at Highline Ballroom October 3rd, which is not this Wednesday, but the next Wednesday. You can get your tickets right now at itsthereal.com. We're all going to watch a movie together. We're going to do commentary during the movie. We're going to do a Q&A after the movie. It's going to be so much fun. A lot of jokes. Oh, and by the way, by the way, we have special merch. It's an official collaboration. It's an official collaboration. We emailed five times. On the fifth email, we got permission. Mm-hmm. And we're only selling this merch at Highline Ballroom on October 3rd. So you have to have a ticket to be in the building to buy this merch. We are not selling it afterwards. 
Highline Ballroom, New York City, October 3rd, which is not this Wednesday, but the next Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Two Jews and two black dudes review the movies live. Get your tickets at itstherial.com. Two Jews and three black dudes review the movies. Sorry. Get those tickets at itstherial.com. Maybe we'll do three Jews and three black dudes. The possibilities, frankly, are endless. Yeah. So let's leave it up to your imagination. But one thing that will not change, it's happening October 3rd at Highline Ballroom. Review the movies. <laughs> but... Guys, here's another thing, too. We were lucky enough to uh, be set up with Abrams Publishing, and we put out a book on September 4th called Rhyme Book. It is a line notebook with a lot of original It's the Real material, and we wanted to do a special deal for those of you who haven't gotten your Rhyme Book yet. Yes, we have three copies of Rhyme Book, our book, Mm -hmm. to give away. So if you buy two tickets right now to our show at Highline Ballroom, mm-hmm. which we may have mentioned a couple of times. <laughs> right, itsthereal.com. If you buy two tickets right now and you send us the receipt to jeff at itsthereal.com, mm-hmm. we will send you a rhyme book signed by not only us, yeah, but also three black dudes. <laughs> Just three random guys? Yeah, but also the locks. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. And? And one of our doormen. That, that's right. Let's not forget. Yeah. Oh, we, so we have a new doorman, by the way, so maybe we'll have him assign it? He is from El Salvador. Oh, that's where he's from. Okay. So yeah. it could be someone from uh, Chile. Mm-hmm. It could be somebody from El Salvador. Mm-hmm. It could be someone from Ecuador. Yep. So it could be somebody from Puerto Rico. Yep. That's where all of our doormen are from? That's, uh, that's I think it. that's it. That's it. Okay. So uh, three... Or it could be the porter. He's from, like, the Bronx. <laughs> Regardless, you're going to get a signed copy of Rhyme Book if you buy two tickets right now to our live show on October 3rd at Highline Ballroom. It's thereal.com. Jeff, who is on the podcast today? On the podcast today is Cam Kirk. When you think of Atlanta, you think of Cam Kirk, but he's not from Atlanta. No. He's actually from the DMV. Uh-oh, breaking news. <laughs> but I we, hope you guys still support him. We talk a lot about his Atlanta experiences working with Gucci Mane. Young Scooter, Future, Metro, Metro Boomin, a whole host of Atlanta artists and producers and notables. Mm-hmm. But we do get into what it was like growing up, the child of divorced parents who actually lived very close to each other. Mm-hmm. And also, I loved when he was just like, in eighth grade, I just decided to get really into religion. Yeah. And so I'm not going to listen to any rap music. I'm not going to see any popular movies. And then in ninth grade, he was like, no, fuck that. I'm going to get back into what I actually want to like. GP, are you with me? (laughs) Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Shout out to our brother, Kirk Franklin. That's right, Kirk Franklin. Yes. All of GP. Mm -hmm. And actually, shout out to the A, shout out to the DMV, shout out to everybody who's doing construction outside. Shout out to the GDs. All all that. (laughs) What I really find fascinating about him is that he comes at photography with a marketer's perspective. Oh, did we mention that he's a photographer? He's a photographer. Okay, so just making sure he's a photographer. And a videographer and a director. And a friend. Definitely a friend. And a brother. And a son. All of that. But when he deals with photography, he's not looking at it just like an artist. He actually pictures how this is going to be used on billboards, in magazine spreads, on websites, and and how that can help an artist, which is unique to uh, the conversations that we've had with other photographers and artists who have been up here, Yeah, which is really neat. Mm -hmm. Really great podcast. We're very excited to bring this podcast to you. Shout out to our friend Peter Caden, who made it happen. Shout out to Cam. Shout out to Joseph Patel, who is in the building. Jeff, when do you want to get into this episode? Uh, Right after people review our podcast on iTunes, 
People have been commenting recently that they like the tall one and the curly-haired one. It's great content. So keep doing that. Yeah, we're, we're with it. Yeah. Also, October 3rd, Highline Ballroom. Get your tickets right now. Two Jews and two black dudes review the movies. It's thereal.com. Two Jeff. black dudes. What? Three black dudes. Oh, okay. Jeff, yeah. when do you want to get into this podcast? Four black dudes. When? Uh, right now. Yo, what up? It's Eric, a.k.a. Pirate's Treasure, a.k.a. Say It With Your Chest. Yo, what up? It's Jeff, a.k.a. Kicker Out of Bed, a.k.a. Rollover Minutes. Wow. <laughs> This is Cam Kirk, aka Cameron Kirk. <laughs> yeah, this is Waste Time, and it's the real. Cam, what's happening? What's going on, guys? Everything's good. Welcome to New York City. Thank you, thank you. Proper you, welcome. You said you were gonna, yeah, just like that. You get shouted at everywhere you go. Yeah. Uh, you said you were gonna stay out here for for a good long while. Yeah. But you're just here for like a little a break from home. A break. A getaway. Nice. I like to come to New York to get inspired. I like to just watch people walk down the street. That's inspiring to me. Well, yeah. what, what what's the difference between people here and people at home? At home, meaning Atlanta. Yeah, I hope Atlanta doesn't get mad, but I feel like people work here. It's right. <laughs> that simple. Like people just don't. You just can't see people working in Atlanta. Like where do you, where do people work? There's no like downtown mm-hmm. where their offices. Like a friend of mine got locally famous for wearing suits every day. And it's like, why is that an anomaly? Well, to That's be fair, so dope though. Fonsworth yeah. Bentley got got famous for wearing suits too. That is so, true. You know, too, yeah. But it's like, are we that like not used to seeing people go to work that he yeah. wears a suit and he's famous? Like, it's crazy. That, that's his one thing. He just wears suits. <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's a great businessman too. He's a lawyer. He's, oh, good for him. So he's doing his thing, but it's just like, wait, our, he's a scene, lawyer and he wears suits? Yeah. That's still that's a thing. A, no, yeah. I feel like that's like very on brand. Like it should be. Yeah, like, yeah, he's doing his thing. It's is just, he your lawyer? He's young. Yeah. He's okay. Young. Yeah, I would. I would want my lawyer to wear a suit as well. Yeah. yeah no, nah, we appreciate it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Shouts to what him. are you paying him for? Just to like you know wear sweats? I feel like the bar has been lowered where it's like a lawyer is wearing a suit and you're like, oh, well, I'm gonna follow him on Instagram. Does he do all of his work from home? Uh, now he works out of a law office, so. Because I don't know, like, we work out of our apartment, as mm-hmm. you can see. I don't know that I would ever wear a suit to a function in my own apartment. To walk, like, three feet out, sit here. Yeah. <laughs> go get lunch. Try. <laughs> Our guests show up in, like, think, off-white. Yeah, Do you think people energy. would take us more seriously if we dress in suits? Hey, I think it would be a good look. Would you have? Wait, are you judging us now not for wearing suits? No, because you guys got good swag on. Oh, I'm thank you very much. Guys. All right, yeah. all right. Yeah. You are a great guest. Yeah. <laughs> Cam, where are you originally from? I'm originally from Prince George's County, Maryland, right hey. outside of D.C. All right. Yeah, yeah. Our, uh, our parents are originally from Silver Spring. Oh, okay. We have Great. cousins uh, who grew up in Northwest D.C. Okay. And our aunt still lives in, uh, in Chevy Chase. Okay. So DMV. we know a few things yeah, down yeah, about yeah, the DMV. Yeah. How well, often do you guys go? Now? Uh, probably like twice a year. Twice a okay. year, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, How often do you go? Twice a year. All so right. Eating, we'll see know. you yeah. there. Yeah. See you at Passover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we go down to see our aunt and... Uh, and sometimes we, we try to soak in some of the uh, the ambiance mm-hmm. in right. uh, in Washington. Yeah, go say hi to Fat Trail. Yes, yeah. You know, <laughs> got to do that. Yeah, check in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was growing up in Prince George's County like? Wow. Um, growing up in Prince George's County was so different than the lifestyle I'm in now. Um, I grew up really, honestly, very sheltered. Like, um, I was blessed to have four parents. My parents got divorced and actually gave me two more parents. So I had four parents growing up. So I was always well looked after and protected. And I had an older brother as well. So growing up there was just all about sports. And that's about it. How far did your your, uh, parents, the couples, live from each other? Five minutes. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) is that good or is that too much? 
it was great because uh thankfully my parents were able to work things out where we had joint custody they had joint custody so amazing i spent two weeks with my dad two weeks with my mom two weeks with my dad so it was convenient to not have to pick up and travel 30 minutes no kidding to someone else's house and you didn't have to switch schools yeah, yeah which is probably the most important the thing right yeah so it was an easy transition yeah so it was great what was the the smallest but most annoying rule that was different in the two households most annoying rule <laughs> is my stepdad hates when you wear hats in the house. As a matter of respect. Yeah, he was very he's very on that. Like even something else he used to always get on me. If you eating a bag of chips, he wants you to pour the chips on a plate and not <laughs> eat out the bag. Mm. And I'm just like it's chips. Man. Like, I'm, just to, I'm just trying to eat as much as I need. I'll roll the bag back up. So he was very on that. And then my dad's side at my dad's house it was like no rules for the most part like it was just kind of like put your chips wherever you want (laughs) yeah because we're not cooking for you so go in there eat chips for dinner if you need it like whatever you got to do it's kind of like more of a fin for yourself but it was cool so that was the fun side if If you needed dinner you just go five minutes down the street and then yeah yeah. do what you got to do so if but if they weren't cooking for you does that mean you were cooking early yeah my dad made sure we were stocked with uh chef boyardee Mm -hmm. uh heat up um stuff from the freezer stuff you can just put in the oven like you know he kept the fridge stocked with that but it wasn't a lot of like family dinners over there and it was you and your brother yeah older brother older brother three years older than three me. years old so you went to school together yep one year or well, most of our years and in high school yeah yeah freshman he was a senior. did he have a good reputation uh i think so he played sports. He played basketball, and so teachers cool. weren't looking at you crazy, being like, "Uh oh, another one." <laughs> oh no, 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 no. Or were they looking at you, being like, "Well, your brother had a certain level of uh, respect around yeah, here, I and think it was a you should live up that. to that." It was a little yeah. more of that, like chasing. You know, you're always chasing your big brother's shadows in a certain way. So it's been that my whole life. Mm-hmm. Were you always tall for your age? No, I was. I was always very skinny for my age, like ridiculously skinny, like almost a problem um very kind of lanky i wasn't really tall mm-hmm. until i would say maybe like the end of high school maybe a little bit we were on the same college. wave <laughs> yeah i feel like yeah and now i'm considered tall which yeah cool. and you've put weight on which is like you know a little yeah, dope I'm, I'm still like riding out that you know why bother yeah i'm trying to lose weight so I love being skinny. <laughs> Are you actively trying to lose weight or is it like nah, just in your head? Yeah, exactly. My head, my See, mom. now I'm on your wave. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, yeah, no, I need to lose weight. Uh, don't start tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. I say I'm going to start when I turn 30. It, so okay. Bit of time. What was high school like for you? Man, high school, I was the very, very, very quiet kid in high school. I did no talking <laughs> to anybody. But I wasn't like the quiet kid. That you were scared he might shoot up the school, <laughs> right? but it was just like, good. I don't know. He just doesn't really talk. Like, right. He's very to himself. But I was like, still cool. Like I still was in the latest fashion trends or whatever. And I worked a cool job. I was out of school. I what job was cool that? Sneaker job at DTLR. It's a little sneaker store. Right on. So I had that. I had the cool job. So people still wanted to know what I was about, but I just right. You were more mysterious than yeah, much more mysterious. Yeah, and I didn't really open up. To at all really while i was in um high school at all i just kind of was to myself but like i said i always knew what was going on i could tell you who's dating who who's what what's going on what's the latest gossip yo people must have wished that you were talking i know (laughs) (laughs) 
There was I a had all the gyms. There was a kid in my grade. I remember Lawrence, mm-hmm. um, and he was totally silent. Right, would not share anything with anyone. Would not like hang out with anyone. Just loner by himself. But it wasn't again. It mm-hmm. wasn't like shoot him up. Right, scary. It was like he would draw naked girls in his in his book, and all the girls like loved him from afar. And I was like, but why? I just couldn't like comprehend why. And I I don't know what he's up to anymore. But yeah, we gotta check in. On hopefully, him. yeah. yeah. Or do we? A, maybe he's a famous artist by now. No, I think he's a lawyer in Atlanta. <laughs> he wears a suit. <laughs> oh, okay. In high school, though, are you a, are you a good student? Yeah, fairly good. Um, three point five for oh, GPA. That's really good. Yeah, I was pretty. I was pretty good. How did you get your job at the sneaker store? When I was sixteen, I just knew I wanted a job. Like I just knew I didn't want to depend on anybody, and I always wanted like a cool job. So I literally was just in the mall one day and just applied, and I don't know, I just got it. What'd you put down in your resume? <sighs> I'm old, man. I was 13 <laughs> years ago. I have no idea. Good <laughs> something at good. Microsoft yeah. Excel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Athletic. I don't know. Something. <laughs> play sports. I don't know. Something that worked. And you got into Foot Locker. Yeah. So you got the job. Did you move up in the job? Never. Nah. It was always just... Were you sales, a salesman? Sales associate. Yep. Yeah. Stayed there pretty much. I worked there a long time for about six years, even into college. So you sold some shoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was good at that. I was decent at that. The shoes really sold themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you never had to do much. <laughs> Our job was more a hangout spot. We just used to hang out there. Was there anybody cool who came through? Yeah. Um, DTLR is like a cooler footlocker to me. Um, so it was like we, would, we were really mixed in like hip-hop culture mm-hmm. stores. So we would play the latest hip-hop music. We would have meet and greets with whoever is the big artist at the time. So... Yeah, we've had people come through. Uh, Maryland's a very, like, basketball town. So, like, I can remember Kevin Durant coming through, Michael Beasley, um, people like that. You know, more than – it wasn't a lot of rappers. You know, yeah. you don't get a lot of rappers. But, you know, back Maryland is a lot of, like, go-go music. So, mm-hmm. you might have the local go-go band might come through and it'd be somebody, you know, everybody knows. Did you grow up on go-go? I didn't grow up on it because my brother wasn't – too keen to it mm-hmm. I, I grew up more on r&b music and like what like i can remember drew hill yeah. jodeci um were some like very early songs i remember like in elementary school those are some mature um, songs for an elementary <laughs> yeah, school kid it was i had no idea what they were talking about <laughs> i mean somebody sleeping in my bed pretty straightforward yeah, yeah exactly I, I just thought it was a ghost or something <laughs> i don't know what i thought it was i definitely didn't think it was what it is now <laughs> But I remember Drew Hill was the first cassette that I bought, that same album. Um, I think it's called Enter the Drew or something. Mm-hmm, yeah. And, um, yeah, I remember I loved every song on there. Five Steps, Never Make a Promise. So I was really big on, like, R&B music. And they're from uh, Maryland. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, wait, did you ever see the video of Drew Hill reuniting on a radio station and then one of the members quits <laughs> during the interview? <laughs> and then they time? argue in a parking lot and it's one of the best videos on the internet everybody should go check that out yeah yeah i will immediately check that out because that sounds funny oh it's which member quit do you know i don't remember it wasn't um cisco and it wasn't nokio it was one of the other two that we don't remember yeah yeah maybe woody oh maybe you really woody. are a big drew hill fan yeah that yeah. was a test <laughs> i was a super fan to the point where when woody went gospel i bought his gospel that's album. who it was it was woody. wow yeah because he was like i'm gonna go gospel yeah and I bought his gospel. Did you go gospel? I did. Really? I actually did. I actually gave up hip hop 
music, rap music, um, rated R movies when I was in eighth grade. I did a whole year of never listening to hip hop or I stopped watching all rated R movies, everything. Why? Um, well, I was really into church. Yeah. My, my, uh, I got really into this pastor that I, that I had, like just his sermons and stuff. I guess it just moved me. Every Sunday? Yeah, every Sunday. And Early. you weren't telling anybody because you were so quiet in school. Yeah, no one probably knew. But, you know, I just used to be super into church and, and I gave up. I literally gave it up for a whole year. I remember that. That was one of the craziest things I would say I've done in terms of just like testing my willpower to really like at in the eighth grade say I'm not going to listen to what every other kid's listening to or I'm not going to watch the movies. I remember Friday after next or next Friday or something came out that year and I was like, my brother went to go see it with my dad and they were just like throwing it in my face and I was like, I'm not going to go see it. Holy cow. Wow. Yeah, it was intense. As an eighth grader. Yeah, it was intense. That's a lot of willpower. It was. Luckily at that time there was some really good gospel songs like kirk franklin was going crazy yeah, yeah, yeah. so he kept, he kept me going we were just life. listening to stomp down in um in utah i just played it god's country yeah. yeah yeah my sister heard it she knows so <laughs> we were going crazy so so what happened as you went into high school then what changed um i don't know i guess as you get older you just become more rebellious to certain things i don't know if anything specifically changed i know we went to we started going to a different church and, you know, as you get older, you start to just see things and recognize things, you know, when the, the smoke clears and you start to notice, like, this church was so good. Why did we leave? Mm. Like, what was going on behind closed doors? What did the adults know that I don't know? Like, what is going on? So as stuff like that happened, I think I just became more aware and, you know, more conscious of what I truly believe versus, like, what's been kind of pushed on to me. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of just made my own decisions as I met other people and, um, specifically college definitely changed my complete perspective on religion. So as you were getting ready to graduate high school, where were your college options at that point? I was big on, originally I wanted to go to a big, uh, what do you call it, a PWI? Mm-hmm. What does that mean anyway? Um, predominantly white institution? Yeah, predominantly white institution. Oh, that's a real thing. Yeah. Huh? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was originally going to a, wanted to go to a PWI. I wanted to go to the University of Maryland mm-hmm. or the University of Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, Miami, just because I just heard about Miami and it's so hot and the weather and the beach, libraries, all the churches, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Ray Lewis was my favorite (laughs) uh, football player, so I was like, he went there. So many cool guys went to the University of Miami. I wanted to go there, and that was the first time I think that I realized like affirmative action actually is real. Mm-hmm. And I didn't use it because I was so silly. Like, it was like I was trying to avoid being discriminated because I was black that I didn't put on my application that I was black. Hmm. So even with a 3.5 GPA, a good SAT scores, I got declined from University of Miami. And I was like, this is mad weird. Like, yeah. like y'all can't be accepting this many, you know what I mean, people. And yeah. it was weird because I was getting scholarships at certain other schools. And I was like... And then I realized, well, you didn't tell him you were black. Yeah, I guess Cameron Kirk could be, be you know, anything. anything. I was actually named after the guy on Ferris Bueller. So I was named after a white guy. What? Yeah, (laughs) the nerdy kid on Ferris Bueller. Oh, no, I'm familiar. That's amazing. (laughs) Do you have a Gordie Howe jersey? No, I You should, yeah. (laughs) I guess I should. Man. Do you like the movie? I did like that movie. I did. I thought it was fun. I wish 
Well, I don't want the name Ferris. I, I really don't like that name, but I wish it was like his name was Cameron. Like, yeah. Cool. yeah. <laughs> Although okay. Cameron was the dark and mysterious one. This is true. Wow. Very apropos. Yeah. 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 My life comes full circle and I'm a photographer. And yeah. My name is Cam. So, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so you, en- you ended up not going to U of M. Yeah, I went to, um, I went to visit University of Maryland and the campus was just so outrageously big that I just... I couldn't even imagine myself being at this school. College Park. already yeah. quiet, and I was like, I'm going to get like swamped at this university. And you'd be rooting for a turtle. Yeah, yeah. it's a lot. And they weren't that good. Yeah. <laughs> Steve Francis left. Yeah. Local, local hero, Steve yeah, Francis. Yeah. So after that, I was just kind of like, eh. And I had heard about Atlanta. I think, um, I want to say the movie Drumline had just came out around that time, and that was actually or ATL. Yeah, <laughs> certain things like that was like okay, Atlanta's kind of hot, hot Atlanta. All the rappers were were popping up down there, and um, a friend of mine was a year older than me. And he worked at the same job as me, and when he came back for for Christmas break, he was like, "Man, you should look into Morehouse. Like, it's a good school. I think you would like it." Uh, by the way, spoiler alert: Morehouse, not a PWI. No, yeah, HBC. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My parents did not like that one. <laughs> well, really? No. Why? Because you just in Maryland is there is no concept in my opinion of like entertainment industry. Everything is just very like corporate job or work for the government. So there isn't a lot of like flexibility and freedom to just be this cool kid that just makes a way for yourself. It's like most people I know back home have a job, a regular nine to five. So and my parents kinda did that as well. So I think in their best interest, you know, it's a, it's kind of a thing within black families where they want to prepare you for the real world, as they say, which is, you know, having to deal with people of all races. And some people look at HBCUs in a negative light because they feel like it tricks your mind to think that the world is going to be this easy and you're going to just be with people of your same race and you're not going to deal with discrimination. And some parents will actually encourage you to go to a PWI and if you can thrive there amongst other races, then maybe you'll actually be more trained. Huh. Yeah, I don't believe that, but that's what my parents thought. So it was a struggle to get them to go. Both to sets of parents. Yeah, all four. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, so one of my parents, my stepdad, wanted me to go to Morehouse. He understood. But he also hated the way that you opened up potato chips. So <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so so you got into Morehouse. Mm-hmm. You made your way down there. Yep. And what is going to Morehouse like? Morehouse was Morehouse is like going to a big fraternity. Like everything is very traditional. There are a lot of rules. There are a lot of at the time they seem like unnecessary rules. Um, you know, Morehouse is big on a you know, again have to deal with the no hats and building rules and you can't miss class. You know, it wasn't the freedom that I thought college was it it felt a little like high school again hmm. uh, at the i didn't realize it was that conservative down there like yeah. that it's like you know oh super morehouse is a very traditional school very big on that you have it's one day a week you have to wear a suit and tie whoa shirt and tie. like a lawyer yeah, yeah yeah you have to learn how to tie your tie it's part like see i always say morehouse trains you to be a man um and it deals with more of like your maturity as an adult than it does education. I feel like you can get education from anywhere, but you want to go somewhere where I feel like the instructors want to really grow you as a man. And I feel like that's what Morehouse specialty is. That's what it is. So they, 
every week we had guest speakers that would come in and they call it a crown form and a whole um, student body would sit in and how big is the student speaker. body about 3,500 people okay 4,000 people and now at these crown forums is where they would bring back people like well Bill Cosby mm-hmm. is, right yeah before, but like a, like a John Lewis or yeah, like yeah. yeah yeah people like that would come in and Magic Johnson would come back to school come to school and talk and Spike Lee and stuff like that so That's dope. it was very like motivational at a time and it really focused on just like you know the maturity of black men and it prepared us to just have pride in ourselves and what we stand for and then to actually understand that it's deeper than us it's about a community so what i got from morehouse was more about that just like brotherhood and community and it brought me out of my shell immediately yeah i felt a part of something and well i guess i have two questions Mm -hmm. which is um one did your parents come around on it I think now, <laughs> I think now they're like, okay, like I'm happy you moved to Atlanta and, and figured it out. Right. Um, it was a struggle though. I mean, to be honest, I I convinced my parents originally Morehouse was a school for me based off the premise that I was going to be a doctor because Morehouse graduates the most black men into medical school every year. So you were ready for not just four years of undergrad, but also med school. I was so just stuck on trying to say something that made my parents like proud when they talk to kids about what's he going to school for to be a doctor i did no research on what it took to be a doctor oh. i had no idea about medical school where'd your brother like, go to i was school? almost ignorant to it <laughs> my brother went to townsend university in baltimore yeah local yeah, yeah. Local. Mm-hmm. so when i got to school and i was a bio major pre-med and i got in a biology class and i remember just seeing how hard everybody was studying and I was like, man, I'm trying to go party. Like, what, is, what, are, what are y'all doing? And I, of course, I fell behind in biology class. And once you fall behind, it's over. You can't catch back up. And then I remember um, we would all get together sometimes and study. And a friend of mine that was in the dorm room with me was telling me, like, his brother's on the way to be a doctor. And I remember he was bragging about his brother. And he was like, yeah, my brother is about to turn 29. He's about to finally be a doctor. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> 29? Like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean? And he was like, yeah, you got to do this and you got to go to residence. You got to. I was like, wait, so you mean that I'm going to be broke until I'm 29, 30? Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to have to serve. Like, you know, like what? Like immediately went to the dean's office and changed my major. To? Marketing. All right. Greatest decision I ever made. What did you know about marketing at that Not, point? Okay. <laughs> The only thing I knew was it wasn't a doctor. Yeah, it wasn't a doctor, <laughs> and I knew that every company in the world has a marketing department. Well, that was the one thing I just thought about. Like, no matter what I decide to do, every company has this department, no matter what. And then I was thinking, okay, my love for for sports and um, street fashion, like working at the store I was at, maybe I can transition this to a job with Adidas or Nike or something. And that's that was really what I thought. But I, I had no prior research on it i just kind of picked the major what was your involvement with the other hbcus down there well morehouse is a little trick for the kids that are thinking about going to school and they're scared <laughs> because morehouse is an all-boys school spellman's Spelman. right around the corner yeah. spellman is when you say right around the corner that's an understatement <laughs> yeah. it's connected to the campus so is clark atlanta mm-hmm. which is 75 percent girls so you're literally surrounded by two all-girls schools. Yep, shout out to Scotty Beam. Yeah, yeah, Scotty Beam. Yeah, she was down there. I met her down there. 
the homie for real. Did you know uh, Jersey Jinx as well? No, nah, I think we missed each other, or may- maybe, um, but we're connected now. He keeps yeah. me actually in a loop with what's going on at Morehouse. He'll send me articles about stuff and like, man, did you see what's going on? Hmm. So yeah, we always we have a little connection there as well. Um, but I tell everybody the first thing I learned on campus, I learned the rules of the campus, but then the upperclassmen were sure to mention that there's a 20 to one girl <laughs> to guy ratio on this campus. So do your thing. <laughs> it's like, don't worry about what you're hearing. Let them talk, let them laugh at us. We're going to all boys school. Keep that between us. And it's a 20 to one, we here living. So that was always what I was like, oh yeah, this is perfect. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then it's good to, to be able to go to class and it's only guys. So. You can roll out of bed looking like anything. You, you know, you do whatever, and then you, you know, what I mean, you can see keep your girl. fashion yeah. for when you go out. Yeah, yeah. And you stay focused. It also keeps you very like focused. Hmm. Do you feel like you got everything out of your marketing degree? Yes. Um, I feel like a lot of things in my life. I'm a very like go with the wind type of person, and I feel like a lot of I just been following wherever God has led me. And I feel like a lot of things from my early personality to me just randomly picking marketing to everything has like made me who I am today. So I think a lot of my early um, things, even in high school that I didn't know, actually made me a really attentive and good marketer because I was just willing to like, like be quiet and be observant of the landscape of things and just really be able to see what's really going on and analyze things better in my head. So I became very like analytical and very logical with my thought processes. And I think that that's very good for marketing because you're able to know who is what, what is what, without like being so overpowering in a situation that you can't really survey a room and tell how to reach certain certain people. So all in all, Morehouse, I don't think it's so much about what you're learning in the books per se, but it's just like the environment, that time to grow, that time to develop yourself, I think was good. And then just being in Atlanta where it's the land of entrepreneurs, it's the land of just like black people just making a way for themselves and doing any type of thing. It opens up your your mind to opportunities. Like I never imagined I could be even in New York with you guys off of photography. Yeah. And not even just photography, off of shooting hip hop artists. Like I don't shoot nothing else. So were you thinking local at that point? Like, was it all Atlanta stuff? Or were you very much into the internet and your social media? Um, I got on social media around... I mean, I was always on Facebook and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think when Twitter broke, I think that really, like, opened my mind up to, like, wow, I can connect to the entire world, you know, with the click of a few buttons. Mm Mm-hmm. And not only the entire world, but I feel like Twitter was the first social media app that made nobody off limits. Yeah. Like, no matter how famous you were or what, you, can you hit were them. reachable <laughs> now. And that was the most, like, brain shock thing to happen. So, well, because then you could hit people up and tell them that you, they could listen to your mixtape on SoundCloud. Directly, yeah. yeah. Or SoundCloud.com slash the Cam Kirk yeah. for all those hot rhymes. Exactly. Is there another Cam Kirk, by the way, out there? Man, there's there's somebody that i found recently and i think they're a photographer and i think they go by cameron kirk or something Mm -hmm. because but they they take like pornographic photos or something because i search my name sometimes and it's like some really weird like burlesque type photos and it's like shot by cam kirk or is is it lawrence (laughs) oh i was gonna say is this you like being like hey this is out there and it's me but Mm. i'm not gonna take ownership of Mm. it 
<laughs> but, just, but please check it out. I've gotten asked to... Are they good photos? Uh, Artfully done? Tastefully done? Right. Um, they are tasteful, I would say, I guess. <laughs> I Cam Kirk endorses... Yeah. yeah. The other Cam Kirk. Well, it was, yeah. In, yeah, it was endorsed by thing. the Cam Kirk. Yeah, yeah keep doing the Cam thing. Kirk. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm always confused by the... Uh, by the the people who claim a name and it's definitely not them mm-hmm. you know it's like angie martinez had to be like angie martinez one on like snapchat oh, for yeah. like the longest time and it was just like that would piss me off so much actually our friend david cho yeah ha- uh he he wanted uh david show at gmail.com mm-hmm. and he emailed the guy being like hey like can i get my name i will pay for it and and the guy said no and signed it dave and it's like you won't give up David Cho at gmail.com and at least, at least put just David. Yeah. <laughs> like, you dickhead. And there was like a check in there. Oh, it would have been, it would have been a really big check. Yeah. Oh, wow. Just, just for that, that Gmail. So anyway. Dave. So yeah. I hacked that. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so you became the Cam Kirk. I became the Cam Kirk on accident, yeah. uh, to be honest. <laughs> uh, I wanted, obviously, like everything, Cam Kirk. Yeah. Straight Cam Kirk. Um, and this is when. Twitter was popping, so I think on Twitter I was Cam underscore Kirk, mm. which kind of sucked. But totally from afar, it looks no like, disrespect. It looks but. like Cam space Kirk, so it, yeah. it looks cool from afar until you actually have to type it. And it looks <laughs> whack. Um, so With I was, the shift and the, yeah, yeah, I was Cam Kirk there, Cam underscore Kirk there, and when Instagram came around, I did catch Cam Kirk immediately on Instagram. So I was happy about that, but I didn't know where Instagram was going to go at the time. Sure. It was like brand new. So yeah, I was just like, squat yeah. on, you know. Yeah, 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 I'm Cam Kirk on here. And then I had my website was camkirk.com. So I was like, okay, <laughs> this is pretty good. I got two out of three. And my web developer let my domain expire one year Damn. after I had been pumping it and doing all this stuff. And I went to try to reclaim, you know, you know, renew your license on it. And they want to like, some ridiculous at the time it was like three thousand dollars for yeah no. dot com. so yeah. i was like nah so then um i was talking to one of my guys um that manages metro booming in the industry uh dan friedman and yeah, shout dan to dan. Friedman. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah so he was like he was like kind of giving metro game and then i was around so i was kind of like taking it as well so he just was like yo you want all your social handles to be the same so that people don't get confused when they look for you. So then I was like, all right, that's a really good point. So I'm Cam Kirk here, Cam underscore here. <laughs> I got to find a new domain. So I, I started with the new domain and I found the Cam Kirk or the Cam Kirk. I don't know even how to pronounce it myself. However you want to say it. Well, it's really however you want, right? You own the, it. Sometimes I like the <laughs> Cam Kirk because it feels more like a business. Mm-hmm. It's like, Welcome to the Cam Kirk. It's like mm. a business. But then when I'm feeling egotistical, I like the Cam Kirk. It's like, that's the Cam yeah, Kirk. Yeah, you say it with so your chest. Yeah. It feels yeah. a little better. So <laughs> it goes back and forth, however you do it. So I found that domain, thecamkirk.com. And then I was like, and I searched Instagram and Twitter, and it was available. So I just kind of changed everything and went with that. It's like the Ohio State University. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So did you consider yourself a marketing guy at that point yeah as soon as i graduated or even when i was in school i started to develop like marketing um things so well you started to do parties right yeah I, first thing i did in college was 
Because I was just so sold that I was going to possibly just go into the fashion industry because I was working at the retail store and I was like, I want to position myself to move up in the ranks eventually. Um, so I started an or online, I mean, an organization on campus um, that was derived to encourage other students that wanted to have fashion aspirations to kind of come together and we can show the rest of the world that at Morehouse, there are like people interested, interested in the fashion industry. Because Morehouse is very like corporate driven. It's very like business suits, ties, you go finance, corporate America, doctors, doctors <laughs> or it's like lawyers or stuff like that. So it's not, there's very little creative industry breeded out of Morehouse. So a lot of those fashion houses or institutes or companies would never come look Looking at Morehouse, you, yeah. even though at Morehouse are some of the most fashionable people in Atlanta come out of Morehouse. So I wanted to start something that would give us an opportunity or put a little spotlight on a few people that wanted to do that. So I started an or organization, I started an organization called The Industry, The Industry. And it's the first organization started at Morehouse, like, with that purpose of like moving us into a fashion or, or a fashion driven focus. And did you have any connections? None. It was just other than my, my store. Yeah. Like this little store I had. And I, I knew a lot of the cool fashion kids on campus. So I told them about the idea originally and they kind of supported it. So outside of that, I had no connections. It was just all like emails and just cold emails. Yeah. Cold emails, reaching out to larger companies and trying to get people to come back and talk and do panels and it was it was a lot of stuff that me just trying to try my hat at how to go um it went okay i <laughs> guess it, it, i kind of jumped from that like i said i go with the wind so uh it was when twitter first came around and i was like heavy into wiz khalifa like wiz khalifa was the shit to me so i remember when twitter came around he had a little email in his bio and I was just so stuck on trying to do something for my organization. I would be lit or be dope. And like Wiz was so kind of underground, but so cool. Like if he came to campus, it'd be crazy. And I remember Wiz coming up was big on like kind of street fashion. Like he was a 501 Dom, the Levi's. Mm -hmm. He was repping a lot of Pittsburgh brands that were like on a come up too. So I was like, man, maybe it would be cool if I got Wiz to come to campus to do like a pop-up shop for his merch and all this centered around our fashion organization. And I remember I reached out to the email in his bio just randomly. The Wiz Khalifa at Gmail? Yeah, I don't know what it was. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember getting hit back and they were like, um, yeah, we're actually on a 49, a 50 city tour. We have 49 cities booked. And the only city that we have nothing from was Atlanta. Whoa. What? And then they were like, "How God?" Yeah, I was like, "I don't know." I was like, "What in the world?" And then it was a it was a deal or no deal tour, so right before cushion orange juice. Yeah. So I was like, "Okay." It was like they totally disregarded my whole email about just come <laughs> to campus and do some. They were like, "Bro, what do you want to do?" Yeah. The the show cost this um, at the time it was forty five hundred dollars all in, and you get the tour. Again, so, that is crazy. Crazy. So I'm like, wait, this is crazy. Like, are you telling me that? If I give you 4500 I can throw a concert with Wiz Khalifa and actually make money back? It was crazy. So And they said yes. <laughs> yeah, they were like, what do you want to do? <laughs> so I immediately um, I talked to my dad. I was like, Dad, because uh, my parents were paying my tuition. So I was like, Dad, give me $4,500. i am going to take out a $4,500 loan from 
the um my college the Stafford loan which is forty five hundred, you give me the money, and then I'm gonna try to do something with it. And then my roommate was with it at the time as well. He put up some money as well just to try to make something back. And I booked Wiz Khalifa. So all of a sudden you're a concert promoter. Randomly, it's going with the wind, just like wherever <laughs> it was going. <laughs> Didn't know what I was doing, didn't know how I was getting into this, but I was just like, yo, this is an opportunity I can't pass up on. Um, Your parents are like, uh, what happened to biology? Yeah, they were <laughs> they were so confused, like, are you serious? But it was like, it's not our money. Like, you know, in a way, you took out the loan, so it's your risk. Did you have a venue? I went and found a venue. There was a concert that happened in Atlanta around the time I was figuring all this stuff out with J. Cole. So I just used this venue that they had J. Cole at. I was like, okay, let me try that venue. And the good thing about concerts, which is why I can see why a lot of people do it, is like in order to start selling tickets and really start making money, you only have to put up half of the budget. So you pay half of the venue fee and half of the artist budget. So I paid with 2250 and then I paid 750 for the venue. So I got a $4,500 loan, so I'm sitting on an extra little cash here. And I'm immediately ready to start selling tickets and make my money back and pay the, the back end with yourselves. So mm-hmm. it was convenient. Where I found a venue that worked with me, and they were a venue that was very hands-on with their shows. It's the loft. I did that at Center Stage, the loft. So they throw all the concerts there. So basically all you got to do is just pay them the money, and they almost put, put the show together for you, almost for the most part. Like you pay them, they start selling the tickets online for you, um, they give you a stage manager. They work hands-on with the bar. Like everything was like very easy. They have an engineer. Yeah. Yeah. What is what is the hardest part for you in that moment putting together a show? The hardest part was dealing with the fact that I was a nobody in in that world. So You're not I just any like, Cam Kirk. You were the Cam Kirk though. at that time. Yeah. I was. Well, no. At Cam that Kirk. point, you were the was, Cam Kirk. <laughs> yeah, I was Cameron Kirkland. I never even went by Cam Kirk. <laughs> at this time like no one knew me as that so the hardest part was i was without knowing stepping into territory of people that already own the concert scene in atlanta so i was ruffling a lot of feathers like who was this kid and how did he get Wiz khalifa like you know what i'm saying like because Wiz literally blew up from the time i was nego- like negotiating the terms to getting my <laughs> contract i don't know what happened he blew up yeah yeah like even the day i i signed the contract um Wiz camp was like I'm happy we were able to get this done because I won't lie. Eight people hit me. Eight people hit us up about this exact date trying to steal it from you. Man. And people were like, just trying to steal it from me, like maliciously. Like, this kid has never done a concert. We don't even know who he is. He has no record, no reputation. Why would you do it with him? Like, and All good questions. Yeah, great. <laughs> I'm, I'm so happy that Wizards Camp was just kind of open-minded to the yeah. idea. I was a 21-year-old kid in college with nothing. You couldn't research me. There was no LLC. There's no company. There was literally you could have swindled nothing. the shit out of this whole situation. <laughs> I could have, but thankfully they trusted in me. They trusted me. But you want to know it next time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you sold it out. Sold out. Quick or was it was it up to like the last week? Uh, nah. It was pretty. It sold itself to be honest. What a I, relief! I, I didn't really have to do much. I didn't even know what to do, but I didn't have to do much. It, it sold itself because days before. The concert, it was April, the concert was April 8th, 2010, 2010. So, Cushion Orange Juice came out probably 
April 15th or something. <laughs> like, it was like, and then I remember at that time, he was like leaking it and playing around with it so much that people thought, people were like on pins and needles when it was going to drop. There was no official date. So a lot of people were thinking that it's going to drop the day he comes to Atlanta. It's going to drop. So it created a lot of hype with that yeah. as well. Um, with people just like, just the hype of Cushion Orange Shoes. So it's pretty much sold itself. You know what I mean? It was a concert. It was Wiz Khalifa and Yellow Wolf. <laughs> and and you made your money back? Yeah. Made my money back, but I didn't make it really any money. Really? Because I didn't know what I was doing. So the whole thing about concerts is selling out is good, but it's almost not good to sell out from the box office because that means that, at least in those times, you only were able to sell your ticket price, which is like $20 a ticket. Right. Whereas if I would have held 100 tickets, sold the other ones, the day of the show, I could have sold them for 50 at the door. Right. And then would have made another five bands. So it's like stuff like that I just didn't know. <laughs> I didn't have any sponsors. No one gave me money for anything. Yeah. So we didn't, everything we had to spend out and then... It was like money management. I was so young. I didn't know how to manage the money that was coming in. So you might sell 20 tickets here and don't know what you did with the money. So when it was all said and done, I remember just like thinking like, where's the money? <laughs> <laughs> and my, my roommate was even looking at me crazy like, like bro, like, I don't get it. We sold 650 tickets at $20. That's $13,000. <laughs> And we're sitting here counting pennies. Like, where's our, we got a couple thousand to get back to each other. Like, where is the money? And I don't know what happened to it, to be honest. I think it was just, like, poor management. Damn. And so, great, though. But so, what are your interactions like with Wiz? I know that it basically leads into your your yeah. photography career. So, my interactions with Wiz were nothing. <laughs> I didn't speak to him one time until the concert was over. Like, um, you know, Will, Will ran a really tight ship over there. <laughs> like, it was very, like, yo, bro, where's our hotel room? Is it in there? All right. Take me to the venue. It was very like straightforward. It was almost intimidating at a time. At a time, so I had more of a relationship built with Will um, than I did with Wiz. And even Will was very guard up towards me. And then I remember at the end of the night, like as it sold out and it was this great show, I remember him sitting down next to me and just like, "Yo, bro, you did it. Like you, you're so young. You're 21. Like this is great, man. You really did it. It's good shit, stuff like that." And then that's when I got to formally introduced to Wiz like oh this is the guy that threw the show and how it kind of spar sparred was like I was a Wiz Khalifa stan at that time you know like I still love Wiz but I was like starstruck to yeah. be in his presence to even be able to act like we did something together I didn't even know what to say so the only thing I wanted at the end of the night was like a picture with him and I had been ripping and running so much I had no my phone was dead all my friends had left the venue by this time. And I remember that whole event, I never got a picture with Damn. So it was like, I just did all of this. Didn't make a cent. Didn't yeah. make a cent. And then I and there's know, no proof. And I know marketing, <laughs> and I had no proof to keep this going. So it was kind of like, from that point on, I literally went out and bought a camera, like probably next day or so. And I was like, if I ever, because I'm thinking at this point, I'm a, I'm a party promoter. This is what I do. I throw concerts, bro. Yeah. Like, this is what I do. Check yeah. my resume. So I'm like, I'm going to buy a camera, and the next time I book a celebrity, I'm going to be able to get that picture. That's literally all I thought when I yeah. bought the camera. And, and am, I, am I right that your father is a photographer? Yeah, my dad's a photographer as well. But he shoots very different stuff. Right, like so, weddings and yeah, yeah. yeah. Stuff like that. So I never even acknowledged photography as an option. So did you, do you, what kind of camera did you buy? 
I bought a Canon T2i. Okay. Canon Rebel T2i, a little starter kit. Yeah. And how'd it work out? Amazing. I think I took one of my most iconic photos to this day. It's actually taken on that camera. The picture of Gucci Man in black and white. Oh, yeah. Was taken on that on that camera, so. So, do you think that you discovered something within you that was just dormant, that you had this creative side, that you were born with it, that it was something genetic? Or... Do you think that it's just like something you had to work on and really like cultivate and make into something? I think it was I think it was born in me, to be honest. And I go back to even just everything. I mean, my dad's a photographer, so I grew up with a photography studio in my basement. Like it just was stuff that just was so in, common to me. Like I would go downstairs, it's all his photography equipment. Red whether light. I, whether mm. I used it or not. You know what I mean? Like to earn allowance, I would have to help my dad at weddings and shoot weddings with him. Wow. Um, to earn any type of money. So stuff like that. And then um, my name is Cam. You know what I mean? So naturally, it's like... Well, I mean, technically your name is Cameron. Cameron, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, everybody calls me Cam. So it's like, it goes with it. And then, again, I'm naturally quiet. So I'm very observatory, very observative, if that's a word. So observant. Observant, yeah. yeah. Observant. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So I feel that like was God speaking through, through you. I yeah. Appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, I needed yeah. that. Um because I, I try to say that sentence a lot and I stumble on that. Observant. It's okay. all right. In a meeting like directly before this one, Eric said that uh something about like being authentic and I was like, yeah. Yes, that is authentic yeah. and autistic and that's what we are. <laughs> and so uh that was a good save. That was God speaking through me. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. Styles, you want to hit us off about October 3rd in Highline Ballroom? Yeah, yeah, what up? It's your boy Styles P, a.k.a. The Ghost, a.k.a. Two Jews and the Black Dude Special Jew. What up? It's your boy Sheena <laughs> Looms, a.k.a. Silverback Bobby Backland, nigga. It's your boy Jada Kiss, a.k.a. Leroy. <laughs> Leroy. Yo, what up? It's Eric, a.k.a. Petri Dish, a.k.a. For the Culture. Yo, what up? It's Jeff, a.k.a. Shooter Boy in Blue, a.k.a. Papa Smurf. Hurry up, Ooh, what's going down? October 3rd is going down. Tell them, fellas. Yo, listen. October 3rd, we're going to be watching a movie at Highline Ballroom with you guys. A special intimate viewing of a movie of our choice. Yeah. But we're going to do a Q&A <laughs> and watch it with the fans. Something... You know what I mean? I know y'all listen to the audio and y'all want to be there, so here's y'all change. Yo, listen, seeing it in person, being in the room with us is so unbelievable. <laughs> Laugh out loud funny. There were so many times during this episode where Jada and Styles couldn't even handle what Sheik was putting out there. But man, you guys got to be there live. October 3rd, y'all. Highline Ballroom. Don't miss it. It's thereal.com. When I look at all of those things, like me being an observant kid, um, me being kind of quiet, because I think to be a good photographer, you have to know not how to disrupt a moment, but like just kind of be a fly on the wall at times and capture something authentic. Uh, I think when I look back at all of those things and I put them together, I'm like, well, these are all character traits for a great photographer. And I think that that's now I say, oh, this was God all along leading me through this path by things that I thought were my weaknesses, like me being so quiet and shy and stuff like that ended up being a strength down the line so what would you take pictures of when i first started when you first got that camera when i first got the camera i didn't take pictures of anything it collected dust <laughs> um i booked uh after i did that concert with wiz i became kind of like this like everybody wanted to know who was this kid you know what i mean so a lot of local artists started hitting me up like yo do you do other concerts do you do anything else so I actually started managing an artist randomly, 
kid that went to school with me, we started working together and became friends and then we started working together. Cause at this point, like I said, I'm full blown entertainment industry. Like this <laughs> is it. So he saw the way I handled the Wiz show and wanted me to apply some similar business structure to what he had going on. So originally you love di- diving in the deep end. <laughs> yeah. I just go for it. I don't really think about it too much. I just go, go right in. So at that point we were broke, we couldn't afford anything. So I used the camera on him. Like, you know, oh, we need a picture right now? Okay, let me try to remember what my dad taught me and push this button. And then from there, we would just try things out. We were together 24-7, so we would just shoot every day if I had to. Like, I always had my camera on me. Did you take pictures outside of, like, your artist? Were you out there just, like, people so watching? And Once we started doing that, um, other local artists wanted the same thing. Like, oh, I can't afford it either. Like, can you do something for me for twenty five dollars, fifty dollars, something like that? So natural light and everything. Yeah, yeah. no equipment. Yeah. Whatever I got, like we just got to make it work. You know, no edits. Didn't know how to do much of anything. You know what I mean? So I started just working with other local artists and stuff like that, and then it just started to develop. And then um, from there, I got an opportunity with some other kids at Morehouse who were connected with more of like the real music industry. And I got, I started to get like little opportunities like, yo, uh, Future's gonna be here. This is like early Future before he blew up. Like, you wanna shoot his concert or something? And I was like, okay. <laughs> like, and I just started like kind of practicing and just, I just started getting better and better. And I don't know, I always say that there's nothing that's came easy to me as, as much as photography. Like the second I decided this is what I was gonna do, the doors just started flying. Like it was like the easiest pathway to where I'm at. Well, what did you notice about your eye? Like, what did you think was special about, like, what you were taking pictures of? I think the most special part about my eye is I don't see things, and it sounds bad when I say it sometimes because it makes it seem like I'm not creative, but I see things from a much more business marketing perspective than I do a creativity perspective. So when I take a picture of an artist, I automatically see the album cover, the billboard, the poster. Like, I, I see all these things, and I try my best to get that type of shot mm-hmm. that can live for uh, more of a commercial use. So I don't really shoot for just, oh, this would be a cool picture of this. It's <laughs> like, nah, like, if I'm with Wiz, I need to get Wiz smoking. If I can catch him blowing the smoke out, but and if I can catch it and a blunt's not in the picture, it's even more valuable because it's like I can use this for something else. Or I knew... When I was around Gucci, it was like, man, if I can show these sides of Gucci, if I can get this shot of him, iconic. You know what I mean? If I can get this a future, iconic. So I started to think more with that perspective of already thinking 10 steps ahead with the photo than just going at it without a plan. So when you're looking for that one perfect shot, does that mean you take one shot and you, you wait for it? Or are you taking like a million and you'll find that one I perfect take a, one? I take a million shots. So... <laughs> people get annoyed by me I, i'm rapid fire i'm like a uh, machine gun but somewhere in there that's how I, that's how i do it because i i always say i wasn't i wasn't technically trained like i didn't go to school for photography i learned over the phone from my dad <laughs> you know <laughs> send him a picture i took and he'll critique the hell out of it and tell me i'm trash <laughs> and i learned from that like what, what were his critiques that he wouldn't I push the trash. chips on a plate. I, that's no, not, that's was, the stepfather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, real dad, <laughs> my dad was just like, I'm not a real photographer. He just never considered me a real photographer. Up until like up until like last year, I think I still would have this debate with him. Like, Dad, 
<laughs> I'm a real photographer. Like, wait, why didn't he consider you? just because you weren't trained? So like, you I don't have a trained. classical. Yeah. So he doesn't. He thinks because I didn't take the time to go to school for it, and he assumed. And then also, keep in mind that I left home at 18, mm-hmm. and my parents lived thousands of miles away. So at times, I always say like, y'all still think of me as this 18 year old kid. And it's hard for y'all to see the development when I see you guys four times a year, five times a year. Right. So you're still thinking that I'm just this naive kid that doesn't know nothing. I'm just getting by versus thinking like, okay, dad, maybe I didn't go to school, but what if, what if I did get on YouTube and really study for hours? <laughs> like, what if I shot a thousand shots and figured it out? Like, it's other ways to learn. So I think for him, he just always goes back to like, I'm not technical. Like he goes to the Photoshop conventions and all this stuff, and he's like, knows everything by the book. And I'm just kind of like, I figured it out on the fly. Mm-hmm. So for him, it's like he has that little stigma against. I guess it's like a little co- competition. I think it's a little <laughs> competitiveness between me and him. When you were asked to go take pictures of of live shows like Future mm-hmm. Show, would you be in the pit? Yeah, you're a tall guy. Yeah, I'd be in the pit. So how do you and, operate there? Well, Atlanta is so was so backwards at that time because I always felt like, like this is like around the blog era where like two dope boys ruled the world Mm -hmm. and ill roots and all this stuff was just the hottest thing in the world. So everything was about like viral content or content that could get posted on blogs. So Atlanta was very, very late to the internet world and content, period. So I remember at those times, I would be the only person in a pit, literally. There would be no other photographer in the room. See, that's so foreign to me. Yeah, yeah I know, because I, when I came to New York, around Everybody's that time, a photographer. <laughs> it was like 10 photographers, and I'm just, I felt so intimidated. They all had lights and mics and camera. It was like, it was so intimidating. But I always say I take what I learned coming to New York, being from back home, and not to say that Atlanta's late, because I like to say that we're pushing the culture and we're... we're on our own time mm-hmm. but there are certain things that you could kind of pick up here and if you just bring that <laughs> to atlanta like you will be like a, a, king. a yeah. king but it's the same thing with la yeah like a lot of people in la um they work lazier right when you say like new yorkers sure. will go and kill it in la mm-hmm. right i agree with that and yeah. joseph agrees with it too <laughs> yeah so that that's like the hustle I did bring to Atlanta. Just that stuff like from being back home, from used to just seeing people work and things you got to get done. So I originally started killing the scene in Atlanta because I remember being in New York. It would be 10 photographers there. And by the time I wake up the next morning from the event, it was on all the blogs and all the websites. So I was like, <laughs> like, how do they do it that fast? They must have went right home and edited. So at, and, at that point in your life, are you... Are you a photographer with a marketer's mind, or are you a marketer with a photographer's eye? <laughs> yeah, that was, <laughs> I was a, at that time I was a marketer because I was trying to market myself. Mm-hmm. So more than I really cared about, like really developing a long-lasting career in photography or videography at that time, I was just like, I want my name to get out there, and hopefully, I can get on the roster of one of these labels or something. Like I was open to anything right. at that time. So it wasn't so much like building my portfolio or my deck. I didn't care about that. It was just like I want people to know associate Cam Kirk with hip hop and the trap scene out here. And then wherever that might lead me, I'm gonna figure it out from there. Like I always had this concept of like if you're famous you can 
always find a way to make money. You know what I mean? And I don't know how true it is now because like everybody's famous right. and a lot of broke people still. But you can <laughs> yeah, find a dollar from in bio and yeah, exactly. Yeah, like yeah. if you got a fame, like somebody will give you five dollars, ten dollars for something. Yeah. Somebody you know I mean? will buy some like uh, sl- uh, what is it like weight loss tea? Somebody, <laughs> somebody yeah, will buy flat some tummy tea. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, they'll buy something from you. And that was kind of my logic at first. Was like, just get the name out there. Cam Kirk is easy to know, easy to say. Just push that out there. So what I was doing was I would go to these concerts, I would shoot the concert, and I had a little regiment. I said, whatever song gets the crowd the most hype, chop up a video of just that segment. Don't, because it's too much work to try to edit an hour-long <laughs> show into, like, this is his hit song, record that hit song in its entirety, and go straight home, put your tag on it, and send it to all the blogs. Mm-hmm. And when I was managing the artist, I had did like little strategic research on how to find emails from people and and I was really good at just like figuring it out like if I wanted to get on complex or the source was even big back there I knew like while the rest of the world is is tweeting at the source all damn day I was looking for the staff writer and Mm -hmm. who's the staff writer who actually wrote the article and I would go and find his page and his page always had like 300 followers because he's an intern (laughs) or something. I would find his page and I would befriend him. Yo, yo, yo. Well, the crazy thing about the source is that everybody who was an intern was an editor-in-chief by the next week. (laughs) Exactly. So I found my way in with the source and stuff like that. So originally I was pitching my artist's content and of course that's flying over people's heads. They're like, who is this? And then the second... I took that same database of people and applied hey, it to yourself. Yeah, yeah. He was a celebrity performs in Atlanta, his hit song. It was like getting ate up. Yeah. Like immediately complex. They want that to content. To whatever. It was getting ate up. And I remember at that point, my name just started popping up on all of these sites. And then very soon, people started to just be like, yo, if you want to know what's going on in Atlanta, you kind of got to follow Cam Kirk because. He's the one posting all of the concerts or whatever. He's, like, documenting all this stuff. This might not have been your first big thing, Mm -hmm. but it is one of my favorite things, Mm -hmm. which is that you were there for Gucci boxing. Oh, yeah. (laughs) How did that come together? How did you get in that room? And tell me how hard he was hitting. (laughs) Well, um, so after I was doing all that concert stuff, I got plugged with Future directly. So I was in like a bidding war. One of his managers wanted me to be his photographer and videographer, and other manager wanted another one of my friends to be his videographer. So we were kind of like battling. Damn. Um, it was when free bands was first popping. Um, so the manager that held the held the most weight though wanted the other guy. So what they ended up doing was assigning me to Young Scooter, who was coming up at the time. Yep. So I was cool with it, whatever. I I just wanted to work for somebody, you know, and get some consistent money off of this. So I'm I sorry. Started, wait, where are you living in Atlanta at this time? I'm living. Uh, I just got out of college, so I'm in. It's like 2012. I was living in Buckhead. Mm. And so scooters on the east side. Scooters all over. Atlanta's, <laughs> Atlanta's small, <laughs> but yeah, he's from East Atlanta, like yeah. everybody else. I feel like Atlanta's huge. We've yeah, taken I feel some like, like it's so long, very like, expensive, like you know. But Ubers are very cheap down there. But like, yeah, it's but time, Jeff, is yeah. money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Took some long rides. Nah, Atlanta's pretty. You can get through Atlanta in fifteen minutes. We need what? to ride with you. I don't. Yeah, yeah. where the hell were we? Right places. I yeah. don't think we were in Atlanta at yeah, all. Tennessee. Like, <laughs> yeah, maybe you guys were in Dunwoody or something. Or <laughs> Um, 
But yeah, so I got with Scooter, and Scooter at that time was transitioning from being just free bands to also being with Gucci, man. Mm-hmm. So through Scooter is actually how I met Gucci, how I have all of these classic photos of Gucci. I never got hired by Gucci. Gucci didn't halfway know who the fuck I was. Right. Like he knew Scooter, and I was I got a G-Pass because I was his artist, his photographer, and he would let me rock pretty much. So... The Gucci boxing thing, which went kind of viral, and I have actually a ton of more clips like that that maybe we'll see the light of day soon. But um, we were we would always leave for shows, scooter shows, leaving out of the Brick Factory Studios, which is Gucci's famous studio mm-hmm. where he made famous for all the craziness that went down. Um, so we would always meet up at the studio and leave and come back and get dropped off at the studio. So everybody would park their car at the studio and you'll get it back. That video was actually seven in the morning. <laughs> we were coming back from a show. Scooter never stays overnight at shows. He hates that shit. <laughs> so no matter if we're in Baltimore, Boston, wherever. Hit the road. Hit, drive back. We're driving right back. Why? Just doesn't want to be. Just loves being at home. <laughs> he just loves being at I'm home. I'm mad at that. Yeah. Yeah. We never stayed in no hotels. Very rarely. Like if we ever. That was rare. So. We would always come back, and we always get back at crazy times of the day because, like, the show might be five hours away, and we're on the road for hours. So we got back to the studio at 7 in the morning, and Gucci's there with his jeans on his shirt off, <laughs> getting some gloves tied around his wrist. <laughs> and we're just like, yo, what is going on here? <laughs> and it was crazy because it was around the time where I think the game had put a challenge out, like, I'll beat up anybody and rap. Okay. Is this in one of his, like, hashtags on his Instagram? (laughs) Something. I don't know. It was a while ago. Remember, it's before, kind of before Instagram was popping. I remember it was, like, all this celebrity boxing tough talk back then, and the game had said something, like, I'll beat up any rapper. I forgot who he was really challenging. (laughs) But Gucci accepted whatever challenge it was. And it was so hilarious because it was, like, he was taking it serious. Like, he literally was training to fight the game. Like, in jeans. In jeans. <laughs> Yo, in stomach jeans. leading the way. Yeah. Stomach leading the way, jeans, and he was going hard. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he was not playing. Like, it was intense. So, we walk in on his training, and I just like, yo, I have to film this. This is too hilarious. It's too funny. No one will believe this. I actually missed a very critical... <laughs> piece and me just not like me being so in awe at first i didn't originally back my camera out but like he like sparred one of our homeboys um that was like on a roll with us (laughs) and it was so hilarious because i remember like that was like the first time i saw like like gucci man that people think about like the gucci i know is 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 the same Gucci that's here today. No, so he's then. not cloned. Nah, he's the same guy, man. He's cool. He's super cool, super loyal, super nice. Like Works out a lot more now. Yeah, he's, he's definitely in <laughs> No, he was putting in work that day. No, he no, was, no, yeah. No. He, he kept the same regiment. But <laughs> the Gucci, so this was the first time I saw, like, even in an aggressive side of him. Like, he was super nice to me, like, growing, like being around. But they were sparring, and the guy, you know, they were playing around a little bit, and the guy punched Gucci in the face. Oh, And I remember, like, he, like, lost all technique. Like, everything he was practicing, he just lost it. I remember his arms just dropped. And he just, like, looked at this <laughs> man crazy. <laughs> and the dude got so scared that he just, like, immediately just started balling up. Oh. And Gucci wore him out. Like, oh. to the point where, like, the trainer had to be like, yo, 
Like stop. <laughs> it was like it was like a robot or something because he like snapped out of it and then it was just like, all right. And it was like okay. And then that's when I started turning the camera on and everything else is what happened after that. Oh my it was, god, it was hilarious. Uh, did you did you know what you wanted to do with that footage at the time? No, I didn't know what I wanted to do with any of that Gucci footage, any Gucci footage or Gucci photos. Mm. At the end of the day, like. Um, at that time, like I said, I didn't have the relationship I have with Gucci that mm-hmm. I have now. Mm-hmm. I was granted access because of someone else, third-party access. Yeah. So um, I was always kind of, like, he's the first icon I was around. Like, so he, I was in a way, like, just <sighs> intimidated even in his presence, like, at times to where it was like, I didn't want to put none of these photos out because he didn't even know I was taking them. Yeah. Like, I was sneaking half of these photos more than half 90 percent of the photos i took of him pre-prison he had no idea i was taking a photo of him. Mm. like i would literally sneak it so the the content i i shot all that stuff i would just leave on my hard drive i didn't know what i was going to do with it and um when he was in prison when he got locked up i just kind of like you know this is the perfect way to kind of start releasing some of these footage because it's like no one yeah no consequences yeah (laughs) no consequences to it to a degree and then also it's just like yo no one else has unseen photos of gucci yeah this is prime like so i started just dropping one by one on instagram and then i remember i got a call from him (laughs) and he was like oh my god bro i didn't even know he was taking these photos and he was like man like i need you to help keep my name relevant while i'm locked up so send more photos to my assistant and we're going to post them on Instagram and you know then he started using them as album covers all crazy so then I I was kind of like all right (laughs) I don't know if I want all of these just be album covers like I so I kind of held a few but then I gave him a lot crazy yeah it was it was dope though that so that really strengthened like the bond that me and him have to be honest because there really wasn't much there I was kind of a guy in passing yeah he would say what's up Kim X, Y, but we never really had a conversation. How do you think word spread about you? Like, was your, was your, did you get a credit on those, on those covers? Um, word spread, um, with me was just because of my marketing. Uh, so I applied a lot of marketing into my name and into the way I put things out. So one of the, the big, I would say pushes for my brand and my career was when I started working very closely with Metro Boomin. Mm-hmm. So after Young Scooter had got locked up, around the same time Gucci got locked up. So my job was kind of like over. Like I didn't have a job. <laughs> right. So I had to try to find another way. And that's when I went back to Morehouse campus just to kind of visit some other friends. And they introduced me to Metro Boomin, who was a freshman there. And we had a connection because I was with Scooter, who's Free Bands, and he had just signed to Free Bands. So then he was just like, yo, come around, like, take some pictures of me. You know, he still was in college, so he didn't have it like that. He was like, I- I'll try to throw you something if you can come around. Let's just try to build. And from there, working with an artist like Metro, who's very internet savvy, very internet, like his brand and business was on point back then in terms as of a just, freshman yeah just in terms of knowing how to use instagram and being connected with this artist who's out of town and like he really had a connection with a lot of artists and that's when me and him just linked up like every day like we were together every single day did you have a conscious decision to photograph him all off campus 
and yeah. and portray him as somebody who's not necessarily just a college student. Of course, I mean we we didn't ever mention that or show any of that. I mean he only was there for a semester, so yeah. it didn't last long. But <laughs> we didn't show none of that a part of his brand. It was just like he was working so crazy. And he still was like the hardest working person I've ever met. Mm-hmm. But he was just. I mean, it was studio session after studio session after studio session with him, even when he was in college. So we'll be pulling up on two, three different artists in the same night. Like, you know, so through Metro, he expanded my reach within Atlanta because working, I always say for photographers that are aspiring to do what I do or to get in here, don't sleep on working for a producer because every artist in the world needs a producer. So they get in the doors that, they can open up a lot of doors because working for that producer, you might never know. You would Gucci one day, Future the next day, Migos next day, and all that goes into your portfolio. So mm-hmm. I learned that early with Metro because at the time, he would have me around Thug, Migos, Richomi Kwan, Gucci again. Right before Gucci got locked up, we did some stuff again, but I was coming at it from a Metro side this time. And then it was just like so many people I was meeting and spreading you know, my photography around with all these people. And it really kind of just blew my name up to be like the eye of Atlanta because I was shooting all of Atlanta, but really because I was with Metro Boomin who was producing for all of Atlanta. And like we had this like mutual partnership where he would do the record, I would shoot the music video. he do the record, i shoot the music video. And like we worked together to try to make sure his brand, make sure that he took control of his records. That's why Metro is who he is because... He doesn't wait for the artist to say this is a single. He uses his platform to make that song hot on his own. Yeah. A lot of producers just like, oh, <laughs> I did a song for them. I don't know when it's going to come out or if it's going to be a single. It's like, we learned early, like, nah, we're going to make it a single. Because if they're not willing to shoot the video and put up a budget, Cam we're going to go do it. Yeah. yeah. And Cam's going to come with me. Yo, and Metro was hitting <clears> some <throat> of these artists, Thug, and all Gucci. Like, yo, I'm bringing Cam, and we just want to shoot a video to the song we did. And they were like... I ain't got to pay for it, camp. I don't care. All right. <laughs> so we started kind of like building something just off of that and obviously exploded um, for both of us. You Were know? you in those sessions where Metro was working with like all the other producers at once, mm-hmm. like like Southside and TM yeah. and everyone would just be in there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Metro, I mean, I'm not to say he was the first to ever do that. I'm sure that was done back in the days. But for Atlanta, I think that that was innovative. Just how sincere he was to the quality of the music more so than the business or the money like i watched metro make a complete beat the beat is damn near done and would still let someone hop hop on it and then it turns into a hit record you know i've watched him do this where he doesn't even think like oh you know you about to lose half of the beat (laughs) like you know you're gonna lose your money like but he was just in it for the pure collaboration and i think if anything that was one of the things that he inspired I was inspired most by just working with him was just like, it ain't about all that. That stuff's going to work itself out. Let's just make the best product and then let's just do it for the culture and do it for what's right and be authentic with it. And then like our relationship together just kind of, like I said, just blew up into like something where now we both have long lasting careers off of those, you know, nights of not making nothing. He was making beats for free. I was shooting videos for free. Um, You know, you being in the studio for, like days at a time what's the most special moment that you've had in the studio session um ooh, it's been a lot of great sessions i can i can say 
I think one that I will never forget, um, partially because I documented it and I have to watch, but uh, <laughs> uh, when uh, Metro and Travis Scott made Skyfall, mm. I think the energy in the room just felt like, wait, y'all just made something crazy. Like, you know, that was like, I, you always feel like that, to be honest, in the studio. I think that that's something that every artist feels like they just made the one. Mm-hmm. But like, that was one where when it was when they recorded that and I was there from the beginning I was there from the making of the beat like Metro <laughs> playing with sounds to then finding the beat pattern to then Travis humming what he thought would be the hook and then I'm going back and forth from lyrics and then Travis recorded it um not even inside the booth like they brought the mic next to the engineering board so he's like recording this in front of us like and you're seeing everything every emotion every thought going through his head he freestyled it and that process and the making of that record, which then turned into be like, I would say a life changing record for all mm. everyone in the room, mm-hmm. me included, to Metro to Travis. Um, I think that was kind of special because at that moment I felt like a star, stars were born for Travis and for Metro and even myself. Actually, what's you know what's a moment that you were in the studio and you didn't capture. And you wish you did. Oh, man. I feel like I, I, you know, I'm hard on myself, so I feel like there's a lot of those moments as well. Um, I would say more importantly, sessions with Future. I was around for a lot of uh, Future studio sessions that I just didn't bring my camera out. Mm. You know what I mean? Or Future loves to record in the dark. At mm-hmm. times, so sometimes it is kind of intimidating to have your camera around him because he's very, he's also a very aware person. Like, there's some artists that lock in and they're like in their zone where they won't even know what you're doing, but he's a very like, he'll give you looks and stuff, and you can kind of feel like, okay, maybe he doesn't really want this recorded. Um, so I think there were sessions with him that I just slept on, like pushing myself to just bring out my camera that turned out to be like some amazing records or records that we rock to this day hmm. um same way i feel about certain sessions with young thug um coming up like the music he was making was so incredible and i didn't always document it to be honest i used to fight with metro over like videoing sessions mm-hmm. i thought they were so boring like just being <laughs> in there i was like no oh he wanted them and you didn't want them yeah he used to always tell me and i, and I apologize you know, <laughs> i feel like, like- Metro is so like press averse. Like he he likes to not be super out there in that way. Yeah. And so that that surprises me that he would be like. I well, want. if he can control it. Yeah, I, I guess think so, it was yeah. more about him controlling it. Like mm-hmm. so the stuff on his YouTube. If you if you ever look at his YouTube, there are a lot of videos that we did together. And he like I said, he understood the internet and he knew what his fans wanted to see from a producer. Mm-hmm. So I never understood the concept of why would they want to see you guys making a beat. Or making uh, a record in the studio, right? Picking out forty-seven you wrong, yeah. different drum sounds, wrong. and like, yeah, because yeah, it sounds so boring. Because it's like <laughs> yeah. clicking a computer. Like it's just like, then the beat changes, then it changes, then it is, then it is. Then usually the artist records in the booth, and the booth is black. And it's like, <laughs> I didn't get what it, what the appeal was, honestly, until I did the Skyfall video, and I just pushed through it that day. And in that video. Ended up doing three million plus views and some crazy shit. And yeah, no big like, deal. It's whatever. Yeah, it's I was like, yeah. wait, people actually want to see that type of stuff. So then, 
So there's a lot of times where he would be on me like, yo, film, bro. Like, film everything. And then I was just like, man, it's a lot of work to <laughs> film everything. Didn't have to go through on the back end and pick the good moments. But, you know, even like he had a series he was doing that we did on his YouTube called like Good Cook Up. And it would be like him making a beat from scratch. And even then I was like, yo, Metro, these are so boring. It's like the <laughs> camera's on a tripod and it just sits there, literally. And I just monitor it and make sure it's recorded. <laughs> and it'd take like 30 minutes and he'll make a beat. And then all you hear is randomly the beat a change, a change, a change. And then I would I would sit with him because he would always tell me, this is the good part. Like, okay, this is part of the beat. When I added that sound, that's what made it go up. So he would help me like edit in the good parts. And we'll make this video like eight minutes. You can find it on YouTube to this day. Yeah. And back then, these videos were getting half a million plays. And I was like, <laughs> people just want to see you click a, a button on your computer all day. And I just realized like, how audibly people like really yeah. consume music. Like they just they don't even need to watch the BTS. They are hearing other they're looking for other things. Yeah. They're looking for when Travis hummed, okay, that was how that song like they, they want all of those things. And that was like my first test taste of like understanding like how important it is to have these moments to document these moments and how valuable they are. So when you're in the studio, how did you figure out what distance to keep yourself from artists who are creating? Because you you're a, you're a, you're silent by nature. Mm -hmm. um, you are a taller guy, so you're an imposing, yeah, yeah, imposing uh, force. But how do you uh, learn where to be and how distant to be from from what they're making? Well, I think a lot of it was just trial and error with certain artists. And again, it goes back to like I always say, my ability to read people, read personalities, so I can always tell. From the second I walk in the room, like the energy of if it's a new artist, like, okay, he's not going to be a fan of cameras in his face. Let me let me hold back. And then there might be another artist where I can put the whole light in his face and it'll make him <laughs> get into mode more. Like, they like it. Yeah, they'll, who's seek, that? they'll seek me out to, if I have a camera and try to pose. So then, who's somebody who's like an example of the latter one? Um, let me try to think. Somebody that always does that. I'll say the Migos mm. for sure. They're they're into like having photos taken of them. Uh, I'm drawing a blank. Bankroll Fresh, mm. love. Rest in peace. Love yep. cameras. Love when I came <laughs> to with my camera. He would <laughs> hit me all the time to to do something. Uh, Rich Homie Quan was open to that type of stuff. Uh, it's a number of like a lot of the more of the younger artists. Mm -hmm. I would say like. Gucci hated it. Hmm. Future hated it. You know, for the most part, I would say like he would, he wasn't really too too big on that. Um, but more of the younger artists. Mm -hmm. When did you open up your physical studio space? Um, so I opened up my studio space a year ago. Right on. Yeah. So. Where is that located? Downtown Atlanta, across the street from Magic City. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> and and when you were thinking of. Uh, why you wanted to put together a space what made you uh find find a place to do your work um or did you just want to set up shop across from magic city and it's like <laughs> well whatever it was a little bit of both <laughs> i feel like all majority of my big moves are all driven from a feeling of unease even from me buying a camera started because i was upset that i couldn't get a picture 
um, me doing the Trap God exhibit, I was, I was kind of upset about my position in the industry. I felt like I was too reliant or too dependent on artists, and I wanted to break out and make a name for myself. So I did my first exhibit with the Trap God exhibit. So then um, I felt when I started putting billboards up in Atlanta of artists, I felt like I wasn't getting the respect on a photo shoot level with artists. I feel like artists just wanted to call me at two in the morning to pull up to the studio. And I'm like, that's cool, but I want y'all to call me when y'all just got a haircut and you got a new outfit and you want me to curate a photo shoot. So I started curating billboards where I was hitting up artists and I was like, yo, Yachty, I want to put you on your first billboard. I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to handle everything. I just need you to show up for a proper photo shoot. And then I started finessing that to then now that got me to where I'm at now, where it's like people call me for photo shoots. Like I'm a photo shoot photographer now um, instead of just being the day-to-day photographer. Um, so it all starts from that. So I feel like when I wanted to open my studio was just another, just me feeling again like, man, my only source of revenue is if I get hit up by somebody. Like, I need to go out and make revenue that just works for me. Um, And that's where kind of the studio came about. And then I was also thinking, like, man, I mentor so many kids, so many other photographers. And one of the things that I never had was a safe place that I could just go and learn and create or hang. I feel like Atlanta... Aside from your father's, you know, basement. (laughs) In Atlanta, Atlanta just didn't have, have, doesn't have really cool hangout spots that aren't the strip club. Like, everything Mm -hmm. we do is resolved around... Strip club, uh, nightclub, like I wanted to create an environment where these same cool kids can go in and even work, create, hang, go back and forth, talk back and forth. Where And then I also needed a spot where I wanted to elevate my clientele from just shooting artists outside all day. Yeah. Um, me having my space allowed me to shoot artists like Yo Gotti or Young Dolph or bigger name artists that just shot T-Pain. It's like stuff like that where they feel comfortable knowing I'm going to a private place and in the studio, no one can come controlled in Controlled environment. Controlled, yeah. you know, because before that, I'm just taking them out in the street. Hey, meet me. this, And it's like, it's kind of hectic. Yeah. Right. So I know I needed to take another step in my career photography-wise. I know I wanted to create another source of revenue and a legacy play because I feel like my studio will outlive me and will be something that makes me money and and my kids' money, hopefully, and their kids' money, if, That's awesome. as long as it goes on the way it's supposed to go. So I wanted to create that business model, and then I wanted to create a place for the community, like for the Atlanta creative community. I yeah. feel like it's not enough respect being shown on areas outside of producing and rapping. It's like, no, there are some really talented creatives coming up out here, and more people need to know about it. And I wanted to create a platform for them to kind of springboard off of whatever foundation I have work out of the studio and use that to kind of propel what they had going on. Um, what is, I feel like I know the answer to this, but what is the widest hat that you've seen somebody wear that you've <laughs> shot? Or maybe like haven't shot. I feel like I know the answer, but I, I, I do want to ask who had the widest hat. The widest hat? Um, yeah. I mean, it has to be future. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it has to be. I mean, there was one day I shot um, Travis Scott and he had stole a... Um, Cowboy hat out the crowd once. That was really dope. <laughs> that hat was pretty sick. I didn't know if like Yachty was wearing like a sombrero or something, and that's like <laughs> that'd be like bigger than. Yeah, I haven't. I don't. I haven't done too much costume shots of like Yachty or anything, so it'll probably be that. I shot for 
What's no Pharrell wasn't wearing a hat when I took that picture. But yeah, probably. What a stunt, by the way. I shot for. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, have your parents been to the studio? Yes, both of my parents have made it to Atlanta, saw the studio. And uh, did you shoot them? No. I am very weird with photography, I would admit. So I'm going to just answer this for everybody that even DMs me and asks me to take their pictures. I have a very, very tight niche of what I like to shoot before it feels like work to me. Mm -hmm. So I'm into what I'm into. I like shooting people that I'm into, I'm inspired by, or I like what they have going on. I don't just shoot anybody. Um, not to say my parents are anybody, but that, that would feel like work to me. I wouldn't. If your father was wearing a wide brim hat. <laughs> my father, does my father have a platinum record or something? <laughs> you tell me. He's going to need to <laughs> gotta step his fame up. Nah, but I just have to be like, I don't know. Now, I would love. And, I, and at times, I even say to myself, I'm actually, I don't want to say jealous is the right word, but sometimes I, I, can, I look at other photographers who are able to make works of art with, I don't want to say regular people because that makes it sound like I'm down, like talking down, but like where they can just pull a model or, or shoot a subject on the street and create a captivating photo off that. I'm, also, I'm often kind of like, I used to be kind of jealous of that. Like, man, when I want to create, I got to wait for scheduling and the artists and I love how people can shoot just people and make it that powerful. And a part of me feels like my brand is built around not only how I took the photo and the way I took the photo, but it's, it's you know, realistically built around who's in the photo. That's what makes it a Camp Kirk photo, I mm. think. So I've always learned just like less is best, you know, quality over quantity. So I never wanted to have a brand where everybody and their mother can say, I, oh, I shot with cam kirk like no you haven't like i wanted it to be very selective over that so i'm very particular about who i will step have step in front of my camera it has to make sense not even financially because i don't care about that um it's more so just like am i inspired by you are you authentic and then i like to weed out people just by how authentic they are so before i work with most artists i usually now that i have a little bit of leverage i require like a sit down mm -hmm. let's talk I mean, hear some of your music. Come play me your music. Come to the studio. Play me your shit. And let me see if this is for real. This is a good fit for me. Do you look at other photographers who are coming up around the same, you know, level as you, like Gunner or mm -hmm. like um, Places and Faces or Renella or, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Raven? Um, I don't want to forget any of our friends right, who might right, be listening. Right. But, like, do you look at other photographers and you're like, well, that inspires me? Oh, or, yeah. like, yeah. I'm fans of every person you just named um, to be quite honest some of them i'm privileged enough to be friends with um and have been friends with for some time but i would say i'm inspired by a little piece of everything that they've done um raven shooting beyonce that's like <laughs> come on <laughs> like, i mean also jay-z <laughs> but it's like yeah i love hope too but like, to get access to beyond like every day she posts a picture from that tour i'm like every picture blows me away like how? Yeah. How did they let you do that? Like, how did they feel that comfortable to do that? I'm, they had a sit-down conversation before. I'm amazed. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm, 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 right, they pitched themselves to Raven. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm amazed, honestly, at just that because I'm a fan in photography that has an impact. And 20 years down the line, we're going to look at those photos she's taken of Beyonce and Jay-Z, and they're going to mean something. You know what I mean? They're mm -hmm. going to hold value because 
she's not even just taking portrait shots. They're like candidates of them in ways you've never seen them before. So I, I psh, hats off to her. She's doing an amazing things. Renelle is is amazing with her eye in mm -hmm. the fashion world and the way she's doing for you know they're both um, doing it for colored females, but mm -hmm. what Renelle is doing specifically for I think she's black. What you doing for black black females and how inspiring her career is? Yeah, I'm super inspired by her and mm -hmm. the work that she's doing, the, the editorial side of things. Amazing, I think it's amazing. I, I love to see her campaigns and the stuff that she shot and. Teen Vogue and all that. Yeah, that. Like yeah. I'm, I'm blown away by that, by the work that she's done, and to go back to Gunner doing this in the same hometown, like seeing his transition. Like Gunner used to own the camera before I did, so to see, like the growth and the development, and in the way he's been able to just own it. Mm -hmm. Like you know, I think it's safe to say he's probably one of the most famous photographers of our time. Um, he's killing shit. Yeah. And he, he's ever inspiring because he's like a friend. Yeah. So Are I, you ever... Shout out to Greg Noir, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, absolutely. I told you I would like uh, screw some people up. But... Um, shout out to John Mannion. Shout out to Lenny S. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Sycamore, you know. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 All right. Um, Everybody. <laughs> but are you ever in the same place as Gunner and trying to shoot the same thing? Okay. And then what makes <laughs> your photos different? He's taller. That's it. <laughs> Actually, we yeah. We have definitely different styles. Like, when I say... Gunner's a friend. Yeah, I'm not just saying that on industry talk. Like, oh no, he's your brother. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've went on vacations together. Yeah, like, really? you know, like where'd you guys go? Tokyo. That's <laughs> Our dope. First trip to Tokyo was together. So we're with each other quite often. Yeah, and um, our careers have taken similar journeys. So um, he's Metro's day to day now, whereas you know, obviously, I was Metro's day to day for before. So we actually went on the last Metro tour together. So me and him were every night, same room, same vibe, mm. you know what I mean? But I think um, the beauty in photography is everybody has a different eye. You can take the same, you can be in the same room, take the same picture, and to someone else, they would never even know it's the same type of place. And obviously he shoots film. Mm -hmm. um, I shoot more digital. Mm -hmm. So just our styles immediately are going to have a contrast to them. But Does um, your father like Gunner's work better? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. I hope my dad, you know, got to test his loyalty sometimes. Hopefully, he does it. I don't know. Well, listen. Uh, congratulations on on a, a fascinating journey to this point, and going where the wind, as you said, took you, and to uh, literally and figuratively develop your career into this has been uh, pretty amazing to watch and Thank and you. to hear. And you went from from eating chips to stacking them, and, and a lot more to come. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for coming through. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks everyone for listening to this new episode of Waste Time with It's the Real Jeff. If people want to find out more about us, I'm Eric, the curly haired one. You are Jeff, the one with glasses. Mm -hmm. Together we are It's the Real. Jeff, if you want to find out more about this podcast, it's called A Waste of Time with It's the Real. And we also have another podcast with two thirds of the locks, Sheep and Styles, and sometimes all three members of the locks. Right. Jadakiss as well, called Two Jews and Two Black Dudes Review the Movies. Jeff, if people want to find out more about everything that we have going on, where can they go? You can always find us at itsthereal.com. I-T-S-T-H-E-R-E-A-L.com. There are no apostrophes, no spaces. 
in our name ever. Right. Don't even try and put him there. Please. We'll take him out. That's right. Go to itsthereal.com for all It's The Real things, including our merch, including our tickets, including our music and our podcast. Everything you need to know is at itsthereal.com. Yeah. You can also find our podcast on iTunes. Search for A Waste of Time with It's The Real or... If you're looking for it on SoundCloud, go to soundcloud.com slash a waste of time or soundcloud.com slash two Jews, two black dudes. Yeah. We are also on Instagram at It's The Real, Facebook at It's The Real, Twitter at It's The Real. If you're looking for our music, it is on all streaming platforms. Search for It's The Real's Teddy Bear Fresh. Yeah. I'm on Fortnite, but I haven't played in a long time. When are we doing the Reddit AMA? We will be doing an AMA on September 26th at 2 p.m. Right. on Hip Hop Heads on Reddit. Look forward to that. So we'll be answering any of your questions. You can ask us anything. We will answer it. All right. And uh, I think that's pretty much it. All right, Jeff. You know we love to shout people out just in general. We love to walk the streets and just shout people's names. We also like to do it here on this podcast to let you guys know that we appreciate the fact that you put people on to Two Jews and Two Black Jews Review the Movies, to A Waste of Time with It's The Real, to Teddy Bear Fresh, to Rhyme Book, to all of our ventures. We appreciate you and we want to tell you right now, Jeff, who do you want to tell? I want to shout out Omega Jackson, who will be in the building for two Jews and three black dudes review the movies on October 3rd at Highline Ballroom here in New York City. He'll be repping for Yonkers. All right. Wearing a shirt that shouts out 914. Shout out to everybody in YO. Yes. Jeff, I want to shout out two shows that we are going to be stopping by this week. Two live shows that we're going to be stopping by this week. On Thursday night, we're going to be hitting SOBs to guest on the live three-year anniversary podcast of the He-Man Woman Haters Club featuring our guys, Mouse Jones and Reek. It's going to be us. It's going to be Wayno. It's going to be Horrible Decisions. It's going to be The Wire's Corner Boys. A lot more people are stopping through. We are you know thrilled. Mac Wilds is going to be there. We are thrilled to yeah. be on the same stage as a whole bunch of our friends. Hope to see you guys in the audience. I know you can go get your tickets right now at eventbrite.com. The He-Man Woman Haters Club at SOBs this Thursday night. Also, I want to shout out our friends over at the Officially Street Podcast. We're going to be doing their live show Saturday night. That's going to be hosted by Funny Julius. We will be on stage chopping it up with our friends, Sayer, J Omega, and Cherry Poppins. I know you can go get your tickets right now at officiallystreet.eventbrite.com. And please don't forget, October 3rd at Highline Ballroom here in New York City, two Jews and two black Jews review the movies live. Get your tickets now at itstherial.com. As always, Jeff, now for real, for real. Sure, sure. See you guys next week. Right.